0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that is so bad, it's like Charles Manson, Sigmund Freud, and Willy Wonka had a baby. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit, here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, reminding you that you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this show. If you're not, turn it off now, hit, click, stop, whatever. But hey, uh, feel free to download and uh, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. That would be wonderful. Uh, On tonight's show, we are going back to uh, reviews, and it's a review of Shanae's Cake from Cornell & Deal by request. Then my guest is uh, Jim Anderson of Lazarus Pipes, so we get to talk to Jim about uh, pipe restoration, repair, cleaning, resale, and a whole lot more. It was a lot of fun to get to talk to Jim, so you'll get to hear that and then uh, music by request mailbag and a rant all that coming up on tonight's episode of the pipes magazine radio show Um, and uh, as we are recording this i believe the uh, ipcpr the international premium cigar and pipe retailers convention is coming to a close and for the first time in 20 years i'm not there for it and um you know what i'm kind of glad because I'm hearing rumors out of well I, I, I've heard rumors of the host hotel having problems with the norovirus which is a stomach illness uh, and then ha- having to uh, cancel some events and uh, the I, I should rant about the Westgate but I won't because I've never stayed there but there's a big reason why I've never stayed at the Westgate in Las Vegas nor would I ever suggest anybody ever staying at the Westgate in Las Vegas. Uh, in addition to that, on uh, Sunday morning, I believe Sunday, yeah, Monday morning, Sunday morning, a uh, fire alarm went off in the convention center hall, and uh, started the sprinklers in one third of the convention center. So they had to delay the opening of the convention because all the carpeting was flooded and soaked, and uh, some yeah, there was some damage. But apparently, one booth in the convention center had a electrical fire that started and the alarm and the sprinklers put it out to the best of my knowledge. And I've spent some time on the phone and text and tweeting with people. There was no pipes or tobacco that were damaged at all. The only effect was the show opened three hours later that day and stayed open two hours later than scheduled. So no pipes were damaged, no harm, no foul, just some wet cigars for a little bit. And, uh, We don't care. All right, Uh, but I'm glad I wasn't there. Let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a ball. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. A review of Cheney's Cake, C-H-E-N-E-T apostrophe S cake from Cornell and Deal as requested by listener Steve Davenport. Uh, So I was kind of, let's put it this way, I was really interested in this one and I was interested in it for two reasons. One, it's part of Cornell and Deal's uh, seller series and this one plainly says on the tin uh best uh let let me read it exactly estimated peak 10 to 15 years so the intent of the cornell and deal seller series is to provide a tobacco that is obviously good now but they've worked these seller series blends with the specific purpose of you aging them for a while and that is a concept that is uh you know except for maybe uh except for maybe McClellan, that's a concept that you know nobody really ever does. Most tobacco manufacturers want you to buy the tobacco, consume it right away, and not blend it for aging. So th- this is interesting. And it's also interesting when you smoke it because you have to imagine what it will be like in 10 to 15 years. Now, through my years of the tobacco industry, I've developed a, uh, a, a a palette for how I can imagine what a tobacco blend will taste like in two years, three years, five years, going out ten to fifteen years. That's you know that that's really hard to say because I, again I think there's a bell curve in blending uh, in a blends progression, and I think uh, ten to fifteen years. Uh, you know, well, you'll hear my you'll hear my review of it. Um, first of all, when you get it, the other reason that I'm really intrigued with it and was interested in trying it, and I'm opening up the tin again to refresh my smell of it, is it comes in a cake, and it comes in a cake that is not pressed so tight that it's actually a plug where you've got to get a knife out or a uh, or a jackhammer or something like that to break it apart. It's really kind of, it's just a crumbled cake. And the last time I've played with cakes like this was, again, when we were taste testing blends. Uh, Taste testing a new blend, one of the things they would do is, if it was going to be a flake or if you wanted to try it in what might be a flake form, do a light pressing on it, not make it so hard, you know, not press it for so long. But again, the pressing helps the aging or the marrying or the maturing of the leaves within there. So upon the uh, upon opening it, it's uh, it was a beautiful little a beautiful little plug in there, and the first thing that I got was that hay or grassy note that is uh, traditional with some with most of the European Virginias. Uh, got a uh, got a good hint of parique but I was a little surprised by the Perique not being uh, not being as prominent considering it was it's been reviewed as a powerhouse and uh, on tobaccoreviews.com uh, here's how it's described It's named in honor of Pierre Chenet, the farmer credited with discovering the process that turns Burley into parique in 1824. This combination of Virginia and Perique pressed into an old-fashioned crumble cake is a Perique powerhouse for those who simply can't get enough of this truffle of tobaccos. Estimated peak 10 to 15 years, but it's fantastic right now. Uh, the tin that I got has been uh, was canned two months ago. So, uh, again, I was I was expecting based off of that more of that perique punch, that ripeness, and it seemed to be more of the... Uh, more pepperiness or more of the uh, more of the earthiness that came from it uh, breaking off pieces really simple really easy to do no problem breaking off pieces and rubbing it out I will caution you that as a lot of Cornell and Deal blends this has a much lower moisture content than uh, than most tin tobaccos and I appreciate that because it is easy to dry it down really quickly in some cases it's too easy to dry it down real quickly with this so just be just be careful Uh, if you need uh, if you want a different experience uh, pull the cake apart in half and stick your nose in there and you'll really get a different essence than what you get just off of the edges of it Uh, so i smoked it in three different pipes and this one in particular i found to do really well in smaller pipes uh, it seemed to do really well in a small pipe. In a large pipe, it seemed to get a little muddled and a little bitter, and maybe that was because the Virginias haven't had that couple of years yet to mature in it. But in the small pipes, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I can say that it is in a smaller pipe. It's got that perique kick right now. It's got the Virginias in there. Uh, give it a couple of years, and I think it'll be a fantastic blend. Uh, word of caution, it has some smaller pieces of tobacco in it. It's got some small stuff in it. It's not all long leaf. So you have to be careful packing it that you don't get too many of those small pieces down at the bottom of the bowl. And you start uh, sucking tobacco straight up your nose. And uh, So just pack it with care. But again, I really think this is a blend that... Uh, I. I'm willing to bet two years, and this will be dead on. Right now, it's good. Smaller pipe, two years from now, dead on. Uh, Quickly, some reviews. Jim Inks, our own uh, Jim Amash, uh, wrote about this, gave it a four-star rating on tobacco reviews, and he says, The Virginias have some earth, dark fruit, and a little citrus and grass. The perique content is high, though it didn't knock me to the floor as I was expecting. It offers tanginess from the raisin, fig and date notes with a nice spice hit that doesn't overwhelm but should satisfy Parik fans. It's also a little woody and with hints of chocolate. The nicotine content is medium. The cake breaks apart very easily and burns slow, cool and clean with a very consistent flavor. It needs a few relights leaves very little moisture in the bowl won't bite and has no harsh spots has a pleasant aftertaste a well blended underrated product that may be an all-day smoke but if you crave perique you'll come back to it uh wait it says he may not be an all-day smoke but if you crave Parique, you'll come back to it at some point during your smoking day and then on the uh on the flip side a two-star rating and i'm scrolling down to get to it as we uh as i speak because i lost it there it is uh, is from Pry Hosm, P R Y H O S M. And uh, he said the tin note on this blend is, well, not good. I get chocolate and sour, foul smelling, musty, rotting food, probably the worst tin note of any tobacco I've ever smelled. Um, I'll leave the rest of that out. If you want to read that, go to tobaccoreviews.com. He said he smoked it, aged when smoked. Uh, was three years. I don't think it's been on the market for three years, so that's a bit of a concern. Maybe two years uh, would be my guess, but again, yeah, different strokes for different folks. Uh, no, nope, maybe it has been on the market for three years. Anyway, check it out. If you like Virginia Perique's, this is definitely one that I think you'll enjoy. If you like Virginia Perique's and you've got time to age it for two years, I think you will be Uh, I think you'll be deeply satisfied with it. All right. In just a minute, uh, Jim Anderson. This is Internet
2: Radio. Meet Josh. Everyone at smokingpipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at one 888 366 0345. That's 1-888-366- 0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com.
0: We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and we're going to be talking about uh, pipe repair and pipe restoration and since uh, school's out for summer, we've got a Uh, a professional teacher to uh, talk to us. So please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, Jim Anderson. Jim, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: All right. So (laughs) where did you grow up? And please tell me you started smoking a pipe after you were 18.
3: Oh, yeah. It hasn't been that many years. Uh, I'm a cheesehead by uh, birth, Wisconsin, (laughs) the dairy state, and – Pipe smoking started for me, oh, I want to say 2011. So there, I stayed, you know, way past the 18 month.
0: Good, good. So when, what brought you to smoking a pipe?
3: Well, never gave it much thought, to tell you the truth. And you know, see the TV shows and movies, guys smoking pipes. I had friends uh, in college that even had a rack, a round rack, turntable, lazy susan if you will, of pipes, you know, and they were into marijuana and stuff, that too. But I, you know, never really gave it much thought. Then got married and started uh, antiquing with my wife, Jill. And We were in northern Wisconsin, way north of Minocqua, uh, Crandon, and, and we're looking at some antique shops looking around and I started seeing little pipe racks with pipes all over them. I'm like, hey, that reminds me of my uh, Uncle Kirby, uh, you know, or... Uh, uh, some of his friends, Uncle Oscar, that that smoked pipes when I was younger. And the smells came back. The cherry, uh, the, I guess, black Cavendish, Bork and Riff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remembering that. And after that trip, I went home and just started delving around on the internet about pipes. And then, of course, okay, there's eBay. <laughs> and I got on eBay and just... Typed in pipes and boom, up comes some pipes. I guess they're from Hong Kong. Four bucks. I'm like, hey, I can do that. Four dollars. <laughs> Let's try it out. I've smoked cigars. I've never really smoked cigarettes. Not into them. But do them. Uh, chew and dip. You know, I always, it went the wrong way. So uh, it was almost like hangover, throw up time. But uh, I got my first pipe, I think. Like I so said, maybe this is embarrassing. Yeah, from Hong Kong. I think it was Pearwood. <laughs> started fiddling around with it and trying to smoke it. Of course I wasn't really good at it and almost gave it up. I thought, well, this is kind of stupid. I'm not going to do this. Uh, and then we continued to antique me and my wife go around to little peddlers malls and shops and looking at old stuff. Just fun to reminisce. Uh, once in a while we buy something, but I started seeing more and more of these pipes and I thought, well, maybe I won't smoke them all that much, but maybe I'll collect them and mess around because everyone's a little different. And they kind of each have their own neat signature. So I just started buying up pipes. Needless to say, Jefferson County—if uh, you came here to a antique store or a junk shop or a peddler's mall—you're not going to find a pipe because I've emptied out Jefferson County around Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> They're gone. I've got them.
0: And if they do show up, do they automatically come to you?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I got—I uh, give out cards to the people, and I always tell them, "Give me a holler. You got pipes, come in." Um, and then I've actually started putting pipes and restored pipes into some of the, uh, a couple of different places around town. And then the funny, uh, funny thing is, is I'll have friends who aren't into pipe smoking, but they'll be out at these shops. They'll take a big picture going, uh, Jim hit the mother load. You need to come out here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah those are mine. <laughs> <laughs> those are mine. Feel free to buy one, but yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, Northern Wisconsin, just doing some antiquing. And it brought me back to my days, you know, around my uncles and their friends, and uh, it got me interested in the, at least the collecting. Oh, I do smoke. You know, I don't have a problem smoking. I, I figured out how to pack a pipe, kind of. Um, but it, more of, I like collecting and then fiddling, cleaning, and fixing them up, accumulating.
0: <laughs> so when you were going to school, were you, you became a teacher. Were you going to school to, for a teaching degree?
3: Yes. uh, Started out Eau Claire, Wisconsin. This is quite a trip. Uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. uh, Went to college because that was the thing to do. I even think that's kind of the thing now. A lot of people go to college because it's this thing of, well, that's the necessary. That's the the norm. Go to college. Well, we're it off to college, and I said, uh, you know, what's my major going to be? Well, uh, let's pick something cool. Criminology. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what that was, but I thought, you know, I took a lot of uh, social studies and history in high school. Uh, some of my favorite teachers were political science teachers and history teachers. Funny, they, they all had a look. Uh, <laughs> they were fairly short. They all wore hunting vests and drove pickups and were fishermen. <laughs>
0: that, that's it was
3: almost <laughs> like a pre- prerequisite.
0: Uh, that's Wisconsin formal wear.
3: Yeah, it, 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 it was. So, But these guys are great. They almost all could have been related. It's almost hilarious. They all like brothers. but They weren't, but they looked alike like that. And uh, it kind of turned me on to social studies and history, and I thought, what could I go to college for with that? I didn't think teaching. My dad was a teacher. My sister was teaching. I'm not going to be a teacher. That's insane <laughs> put yourself in a classroom like that with all those kids. I would need to smoke a pipe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just to relax. Uh, but went off to college in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, criminology major, switched that to undecided because I, you know, I was just being stupid thinking I was doing criminology. And just started hoarding in on all the humanities. I was taking all these histories and some political science, a little bit of sociology, and people were like, What are you gonna do with all that? Well, I was at college to have fun. Well, I was taking the stuff I wanted to take, plus you know, free time what late night poker games, waking up the captain kangaroo,
1: <laughs>
3: <and> skipping class. <laughs> so that went on for a few years, a uh, couple times that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm humble. I, I had to, I had to, I went on academic probation a couple times, you know, again, right. And at, at the age of 18, going to college, I don't know if it's always the smartest idea, maybe take a break and work mature, but I wasn't mature uh and then i decided one day that's enough of this i don't know what i'm going to do with it people all tell me to be a teacher i I'm, no, i'm not going to be so i stepped out quit and rode over to the twin cities in minnesota and sought out a recruiter for something military and the coast Guard caught my eye so i went into there and i'm I, I can go back to that story in a little bit but after that it brought me down here to louisville the ohio valley yes there is coast guard in landlocked the Midwest, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> uh, the Ohio River. Um, but I stayed down here, and I went back to uh, the University of Louisville. And I figured, uh, I'm 30 now, I can be more mature. Met my wife, finished uh, the BA in Social Studies and History, went back, their program down here for master's is a master's in education. So I took all those education courses, how to be a teacher. Mm. Of course, they don't. They don't really prepare you to be a teacher, but they call these your teaching classes. And uh, I got a master's in that after one year. It was a pretty good accelerated program and came out and landed a teaching job. And
0: now what do you teach?
3: I teach. I'm qualified to teach grades five through nine. But really down here, the middle school age is six, seven and eighth, And that's what I've been teaching for going on 14 years now. Uh, and that is geography and culture, uh, world history, ancient cultures, and then eighth grade is uh, U.S. history.
0: Isn't teaching middle school kind of like being on the front line of a battlefield?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, what was it, World War II? Uh, yeah. I'm going to send you to the Russian front. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Usually if you're a German soldier and you're in trouble, uh, off to the front. Yeah, but you know what? I tell you the truth, I do like it. Uh, high school to me was—I don't know if I was prepared to stand in front of kids that were turning eighteen. Uh, you know, they kind of love it or leave it. You know, care. Um, there might not be things I can teach them. I don't know. That—that that intimidated me. Just to simply put it. Um, I did not want to go the other way with the elementary. I call those the pants tuggers and the runny noses. <laughs> and it's mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. Now, we're not far from that middle age, middle school. But the elementary is a little bit too much. So the, the middle school, I thought I could make an impact. I could still maybe put a little bit of the fear of God in them, teach them about some cool stories and, and, and stuff about history and culture and how to be open-minded and accepting. So I think I serve best there, and I've liked it. Even though you get some crazy behaviors, that you know, if I can say that puberty age, oh yeah, kids, uh, get away, get away, but come closer. You know, <laughs> don't get near me, but I need your help. You know, step <laughs> back, but be here when I need you, kind of thing with those kids. So,
0: so with that, with that age range, with you being in Kentucky, which has a rich tobacco heritage in our country. Having a uh, rich tobacco heritage, do you are are you allowed to teach, and do you teach some of the tobacco trade?
3: Um, when I taught U.S. history, I did eighth grade for a few years. Um, actually, the school I was at was an alternative school for troubled and at-risk kids. I had smaller classrooms. I had a lot more autonomy in the classroom. I could kind of do what I wanted. So I did spend. Uh, U.S. history, talk about Jamestown and some of the first colonies. Let me tell you, the the commodity or the product that kept the country going at that time, or those colonies going, and survivor uh, survival, it, it wasn't food, and it wasn't gold, and it wasn't oil or anything. It was tobacco.
0: Yeah.
3: But I touch on that, and and I, you know, I don't, I don't promote it. I try to tell kids where the history came from and how this country kind of got started. I, you know, my own twist on that. And it's sad to see what's happening to the tobacco nowadays. Uh, Kentucky's, you know, it's all but gone. There's a, you know, you can see a tobacco drying shed here and there. Some people still do it. But it's a shame. And it really was that agricultural product that Europe wanted so bad that kept the money pouring in and kept success. Of uh, I think growing colonies from Jamestown to the Virginia colony. So I do, I do touch on that. I do throw that at when I was teaching eighth grade, Uh, sixth grade right now, world cultures, uh, not a whole lot. It might pop up once in a while.
0: Yeah. The sixth graders are a little bit too young at that point. Anyway,
3: they do. uh, They, you know, I'm pretty open-minded and I like to get to know my students and I don't care that they know about me. Yeah, by the end of the year, they all know I'm a pipe collector, and a lot of them think that's real cool. Some of them get a little smart mouthy about it, like "What do you smoke at those pipes?" But other kids <laughs> find it slightly fascinating. Really, what do you do with those? You know, we we you know, and I've showed them some pictures and stuff on my phone of the collections I had, but you know. So
0: it's not it's, it's not completely banned from the from the classroom in uh, in Kentucky yet.
3: No, but Louisville is, uh, what do they call it, smoke-free. We're one of those counties that professes and is very proud of. You really almost can't smoke anywhere. Your own property, maybe on a golf course, uh, public parks, and certain areas, you know, they have designated smoke and cigarette areas. But Louisville has really pushed that that smoke-free, tobacco-free kind of thing. And it's hard to be... To have a brick and mortar yeah. or our group down here, which is called Derby city pipe club. Uh, we, we have a hard, uh, hard time finding venues. Wow. So, and schools really have got echo free. I've got one um, teacher, uh, friend on my team that he slips out the back past the, the custodian store, goes out to the parking lot and he'll have a quick smoke break on lunch. But the days of smoking in the teacher's lounge, which my dad used to do, uh, you know, the smoke was I, – I, I even remember seeing pictures. You can smoke right in school, so those yeah. are gone.
0: Those are my high school days. Uh, we'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, you know, more hypocrisy and, uh, and some pipe repair. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
3: Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savonelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today.
0: we are back on the pipes magazine radio show visiting with jim anderson and uh so the hypocrisy of uh, the city of louisville is uh the brown foreman group is a huge liquor distributor which was started yeah. with money from the brown and williamson group which was a huge tobacco company and they've still got museums there so oh uh, yeah yeah kind of like our north carolina zoo still has the rj reynolds building and the Philip morris buildings but uh you can't smoke anywhere on the zoo property so um (laughs) anyway all right how did you when you started buying these pipes and cleaning them up did you get any advice any teachings any uh, any help with them or did you just start beating on them and hope they came out okay
3: you know, so, uh, really, to tell you the truth, a little self-taught. I, I become when I when I'm doing something. I guess I become a little reserved, and I want to make sure I'm doing doing it the right way. But I don't want other people to see. If you can understand that, you know, looking over your shoulder. Why don't you do it this way? I was I always hated that. You know, my again, my dad was a teacher. Uh, he was my coach in basketball and football, and, and, and even today. And you know, God love him. He, he's a great guy. Uh, goes to the pipe shows with me and sells his knives but there's always advice so when I got into the pipes this is kind of my own thing and I sat down here in the basement and you know other than my wife viewing what I was doing once in a while and she's been very supportive of it uh, I just started scraping away at the bowl rims and trying to wipe off the stems with alcohol but I didn't realize you know you get the oxidation off doing this and so then of course YouTube pops in and, you know I got some tips and pointers there and then started wandering to the shows and just asking and, and that's what i love about the shows is the camaraderie and the companionship with other pipe smokers and collectors that will just they'll just spit out yeah. the information and and i picked up tips here and there and some of it i, I some of it seemed logical to do like you know kind of tripped onto it and decided well this is the right way to do it. i gotta ream this out and i gotta have a tool to do that and of course i started with a knife and a dremel yeah. you know semi-destructive tools for a pipe but you know, I got pretty good at it and then found reamers and stuff. So most of it, I'm going to say, is self-taught. I don't want to sound that as arrogant, but uh, some of the YouTube I watched and then a little bit of advice, but a lot of it was self-exploring with the pipes and then figuring out what I needed to do to make them look okay. And I had no idea I was going to, you know, start selling them. I was going to put them on a rack and keep them for myself. Well, I had maybe 10 or 12 or 15 of them.
0: And then your wife said, "Wait a second! You're getting too many. What are you going to do with these?"
3: Yeah. What are you What are you going to do with these? And, and, and at that point, I was buying everything from a broken Doctor Beau to any kind of Woody, anything. If somebody had a pile of pipes, I grabbed them all. I didn't scrutinize. Oh, well, now I'm now my wife's, You know, she you're a pipe snob now uh, because <laughs> now I know what I want to spend my money on. I know what people will purchase and what they look for. So I am a little more um, particular about what I get. So I don't pick up as many of the pipes. And, of course, I still got dozens and dozens. But we had to come to terms with, well, are there places you can sell these? Uh, Maybe you should put them on eBay. And I tried eBay for a little while. I I did. I got tired of that. Um, (laughs) Unless you got to give over a certain percentage. You had to wait. I didn't know, you know, you post a pipe, The six days good. I cut through six days, you know, five days waiting, and then the last day that's when everybody bids. So just put it up for one day, and then maybe, well, it doesn't circulate, not everybody sees it, maybe. So I don't know. I got tired of that. There's the pipe shows. I couldn't believe there were pipe shows. So after collecting and accumulating and starting to clean them a little bit, you know, I discovered there were pipe shows and took the pipes to the pipe show. And, you know, they were in a bag. I had them all piled in a bag, in a backpack. And when I got to the show, I was a little apprehensive because I saw what was truly, you could call, restored and repaired. And I was looking at mine and I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm a far cry from what these <laughs> guys are. I got to go back home and, and put some more time into this.
0: So did the pipe stay in the bag and go back home with you?
3: I think I offered up, they were in a backpack, and I offered it up to, I forget who it was because he still goes to the pipe shows. It's when you could go down the hallways in the in the hotel, and smoke was everywhere, and everybody yeah. was going through the rooms looking at the pipes before the, you know, the night before the show started, and I, I was gonna see. Well, maybe i can get some money. You know, try and sell them. Uh, maybe I had thirty or forty pipes. I forget. There was a Sazzini in there, and there was a Dunhill in there, and I still didn't know what I had. Uh, there was a few Stanwells. But you know, I got some offers. I'll give you a hundred bucks for the whole bag, or I'll give you eighty bucks, or something like that. And I thought mm, I, I've spent too much. I gotta go back and do some more research. So no, they came home with me. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, it was a fun show, but I, I went home with pipes and empty wallet. <laughs> uh,
0: so I, you know, I'm gonna ask you this, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But obviously, when when you buy a pipe that you intend to clean up and resell. you know uh, you know you you know how much you're paying for it at at this time you have an idea of how much it's worth if it's in perfect condition uh do you also factor in you know after you're done cleaning it some of your time and and how long it actually took you to clean it or are, are you able to do that
3: that's uh that's hard to calculate um my first Columbus show I was talking to a few guys about that going into restoring most of the people that did it, you know, I don't know if it was like, Oh, here's another guy who wants to restore. Let's let's push him away from that. Or it's the truth. I mean, a lot of guys are like, how can you have a business and succeed with that? If you're just yeah. fixing pipes it's hard to calculate. I uh, had a couple guys say, what are you going to charge 15 an hour? What, what's your worth? What's your work worth 20 an hour? Um, I've kind of narrowed myself down to if I'm going to take a guy's pipe and it's going to get reamed, cleaned, buffed, polished, deoxidized, I tend to stick around. and if That's okay to say. I stick yeah. around about a twenty-five dollar, you know, rate. I I don't charge per hour. Um, you know, and it's it it's, it's a real fluid thing because I I can go I can go find a pipe. Say it's a Cezine, and I got a hold of it for four bucks. And I put some time in cleaning it. Maybe I spent a couple hours. I got to soak the stem. So, I mean, if you include that, I'll soak a stem for a day, come back to the next day, sometimes longer, because I forget. (laughs) But I'll put some time into it. But a lot of it, I guess, is I'll look at it. I look at the name, the brand name, you know, what people are willing to pay and how nice it looks after I've cleaned it. Some pipes are easier to do that with. I can take a K Woody or a Grey Bow, clean it up because I got it for a buck or two, and I'll sell it for twenty or twenty-five because I think well, you know, there's my cost of restoration, and it's not a broken pipe, it's not cracked, it's still got some t- years in it. Other pipes are tougher. I can get a I can get a cheap Stanwell or get lucky and find a real nice brand name pipe, put a little bit of work into it, do I sell that for twenty-five or thirty bucks? I I can. Because I make my money back. I didn't buy it for much. But then there's that value. I guess you right. get, you start seeing money signs in your eyes. You get taken by the business side of it. It's like, okay, I found a dunghill for five bucks. Cleaned it up. It's in real good condition. I dated it. Researched it. It's a nice one. To be fair, because I only spent five, do I come back and sell it for 25? I'll throw that question at you. That's,
0: yeah, so I guess it, I guess I it, uh-huh. it it is kind of fluid in that you know it's kind of like my I don't know where I picked it up, but it's my saying you know some days you're the dog, other days you're the fire hydrant, and <laughs> and it just kind of works out to where sometimes you pick up a pipe for a good price and and it's really simple to clean, or you know you get somebody sending you a pipe and it's really simple, or, and sometimes you get ones that are an absolute mess and you spend more time on them and it it all balances out in the wash
3: yeah it does i i think if i had to guess my best sellers really are like 30 dollars pipes sure they fly off the table uh, i can throw a nice free hand out there it's a big pipe i'll put an 80 dollar price tag on it and i did a lot of really good work but it sits there uh, people don't buy it um they pick it up, they look at it, it's real nice, but sometimes over that, I think there's that, you get over the $50, it's hard to pull a trigger on an estate pipe sometimes, unless yeah. you really found that one you were looking for, but around 25 30 and $35, I, I sell those all day, and they can, they can be anything, a, a Willard, uh, a, an old beat-up Wally Frank, whatever, a Yellow Bowl, k Woody. people buy those all day, 20 25 and $30, they are Buddy Pipes, or Knockaround Pipes, or Work Pipes, or... Just adding to their further. If they're collecting caywoodies, they're just adding to their caywoodie collection. But I sell those the most. Those those low uh, twenty and twenty-five and thirty dollar pipes. I put a little restoration into them. They didn't cost me a lot. That's my bread and butter.
0: Yeah, and and I'm gonna uh, since we're talking about money and everything, I'm gonna jump on a, I'm gonna jump on a huge soapbox of mine because. You know, luckily you don't have to rely on your, on your pipe work for your full-time income, uh, (laughs) because you are a full-time teacher. Um, but also sadly, because you are a full-time teacher, (laughs) you kind of rely on the pipe work to bridge that gap. That's called, you know, summer. And yeah, it's one of those things where I sit back and I think, you know, policemen, firefighters, the military teachers these are people that are performing their jobs for the service of the community and yet yeah here you are not getting yeah you're you're working a very condensed nine and a half months a year teaching but still it's not quite enough to make it all the way through the entire year and i think that's uh, i think that's a shame and a bit of a disgrace to our country and I and I doubt you would disagree with me.
3: No, I don't. Uh, there isn't. I, I don't run around always thinking. I, I think I do get paid fairly comparable. What hurts is, I guess you're right. When summer hits, uh, teachers. My dad did it too. Uh, you get a summer job. Yeah. Um, this the pipe restoration. Although you know, I spend money to get the pipes and I fix pipes up for friends and people. Uh, that email me and talk to me. That's my disposable income. I don't touch the paychecks I get from teaching. Um, there's usually... The summer is that time for... you got to pick up extra work. My dad was a painter. Yeah. Him and his three or four real close friends at school, they all went and painted every summer. I remember it. Standing at the bottom of the ladder watching, going, can I come up there? No. you know. But uh, uh, he painted. I did a lot of grass cutting. I had a grass mowing business that I actually... You know, it, it overlapped down here in Kentucky. It overlapped into teaching. Um, but right now, it kind of turned in my my hobby of pipe collecting and pipe restoration. Has uh, turned from a fun hobby to, hey, I can make a little bit of money at it, to this is my disposable income for me. I don't go running to my wife asking. You know, I would have to, but I don't I need 30, 40 bucks. I'm playing golf this week. Uh, there's a new new bourbon on the shelf. or uh, I'm out of this. I got to go get it. I I, I collect firearms, and I like to go shoot paper targets and plink. This money that I make with the pipe restoration, and that's my disposable income. The teaching income, that paycheck, that's that's house, automobile. I've got three children. (laughs) uh, It's it's gone. It's uh, spoken for. You know, like paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to say that, but. It's a fixed income, really. You know, isn't everybody on a fixed income?
1: So you get <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. out. <laughs> I find a little out with the pipes, and sometimes I have a lot because I did really well in a show. Other times I'm like, eh, I just didn't sell a bunch, or I went and bought a whole load of estate pipes and blew the wad, so to speak.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're not we're not even going to start down the fact that you're in the heart of Bourbon Country right there, and you know, not always the best availability right in the right in your own <laughs> backyard, but boy, is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, so suffice it to say, um, yeah, you're, you're doing this to, to, uh, to enjoy it, keep you busy and make sure that you're not dipping into the family funds for your, uh, for your own fun stuff.
3: Yep. Seriously. Uh, yep. I, I, I envelope this cash up and I, Use it for you know further pipe purchases, or I'm going to go to the show. I got to buy the table. I got to travel around, you know, that kind of stuff. And then again, yeah, you know, buy my bourbon or go out for <laughs> pizza with the guys after golf, whatever. That's where it comes from. Um, you know, I don't make enough as a teacher uh, to just have lots of disposable income. And again, I you know I'm not going to scream about my paycheck. But what I like to tell people is back off the fact that you think the teachers along with firemen and police officers, we're all just draining the system and, and running around with, uh, we're very liquid about <laughs> the cash. Cause we don't. Yeah. It's just not there. And then I'll be, well, you get your summers off, and you get paid. I said, yeah, but that pay I get through the summer is my nine months pay stretched over 12 helps me budget. I could take it in one lump sum, but I, uh, I take it over, you know, I take it over, stretch it over the summer like I'm working. And believe it or not, the summer, there's a lot of uh, what we call PD, professional developments, I'm required to take. So I will be doing some work this summer, going to better myself and broaden my horizons and learn some new things with, with teaching stuff in the classroom, using technology, Google Docs, that kind of stuff. So my summer is not devoid of work. And uh, this year, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on with the pension, and we had a new superintendent come in, and there's talk about—I'm going off on this—but there was talk about the state takeover of Jefferson County because we had a bad audit, uh, infrastructure is bad, um, but
0: uh, yeah, and, yeah, and we didn't even touch the fact that the that the district or the state or the federal government may change the core curriculum for the next year and that's your time to get ready for it is over the summer when you're not really getting paid
3: right but we're required to take those classes it's in our contract and yeah there's that common core there's a, ooh, I hate that buzzword
0: yeah so let's talk about fun stuff um, <laughs> how do we how do we get a hold of you if we want to send you pipes to be repaired or see the pipes that you have for sale uh, where do we find
3: you uh, I, like I said, uh, I was talking to you earlier about it. I, I had a website, but that kind of fell apart. I'm on Instagram pretty much exclusively. Uh, if you visit me under Lazarus Pipe, you know if the full name's Lazarus Estate Pipe. You can find it that way. I mean, Jim Anderson, Lazarus Pipe on Instagram, and you can DM me, and I can show you pics of any kind of pipe shape that you're looking for, what I have available. Uh, I can tell you what. Uh, I can do if you need service.
0: there you go. so we'll we'll try to we'll try to keep you busy all summer long and on your weekends and holidays and all that fun stuff. Uh, let's wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready?
3: Yes, no whammies.
0: What is your favorite
3: pipe? My favorite pipe. I've got. A Dunhill shell that was broke open. I had never fixed a cracked bowl and wood before. It always intimidated and scared me. I tried it out and it worked. So I have a nice little pot billiard um, shell briar. I think it's 1940. And that yeah. is my favorite pipe just because of the TLC I put into it to bring it back to life. I'd never sell it to anybody because it was a garbage bowl, but it's going to work for me and it's my favorite.
0: And what is your favorite tobacco?
3: Favorite tobacco. Um, you know, I got a new one. Uh-oh. d put out the H.P. Lovecraft, and I love the Dreams of Tadath. Right now, that's my favorite.
0: <laughs> and that's a uh, that's a brick-and-mortar website kind of out of Virginia, if I remember right. Yeah.
3: I picked yeah. it up at the Chicago show. I'm a fan of H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe books, and I'm like, really? There's a tobacco named after them? There's five of them. <laughs> and I tried one of them, and I was thinking, well, maybe this is going to be a real aromatic. No, some good uh, Orientals, Periques, Latakia. I love Latakia. I guess if you're asking me about a, a leaf of tobacco, it's Latakia. Ugh.
0: Um, <laughs> what's your favorite drink, which I'm sure now we can agree on?
3: Bourbon, maybe with an ice cube or two.
0: And being, I'm not even going to ask you to list some of your favorite bourbons because you're in Kentucky, and that's kind of sacrilegious. So. Uh, uh, well, it, I,
3: I, I've collected a bunch. Uh, or uh, Let's go with uh, the accumulation.
0: <laughs> um, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Music. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about?
3: Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? When I think back to my first show and thinking I got to sell some of these pipes, it was the Friday tent in Chicago, <laughs> and it was your old very own Kevin. Uh oh. At the time, he walks up and here's his words simply, I don't want to forget it. He goes, I need some car pipes, some small little uh, chin warmers, 15 uh, minute spokes. He was talking to a couple other gentlemen and he goes, uh, pick me out three or four. Uh, I did, I was stammering, I'm like, really? This guy's asked me just to grab three or four small little pipes off his table, hand them to him and charge him the price. And I did, I picked up three little pipes, I don't remember which they were, and just handed to him. He didn't care, he was happy with them. Handed me a handful of cash, whatever I asked for him and that was it. I will never forget that. <laughs> yeah, that was very, very kind and awesome of him.
0: And odds are, since it was early in the day, he was probably sober when he did that too.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one to we'll go back to. First show, first sale. Uh, Kevin walks up. Hand me some pipes. I need a few. And I was just like, this is how it's gonna go. This is gonna be gold.
0: So again, it's Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus pipes or Lazarus Estate uh, pipe repair on Instagram. Check him out, Jim. Thanks for uh, not only thank you for uh, for being a teacher, but uh, thanks for coming on the show.
3: Hey, I appreciate it. This has been a ball.
0: We'll be back in just a minute.
1: I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell and Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenez Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal Cellar Series, the secret ingredient, is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. This. Is internet radio.
0: Welcome back and uh, to find Jim again. It's L A Z A R U S pipes or estate pipes. Uh, check him out. Jim's a uh, great guy. Let's help. Let us help him raise his uh, bourbon and uh, his bourbon buying fund a little bit. All right. For music, uh, George Edmondson listener sent me this link to Richard Berry. And the Pharaohs, and apparently Richard Berry was the original writer for the song "Louis Louis," and on the cover of the album, well, there's Richard sucking on a pipe. So uh, I thought it was kind of cool. Found another pipe smoking musician of the past, and uh, he wrote "Louis Louis" before the uh, Kingsmen recorded it and made it famous. So here is the original recording of Richard Berry and the Pharaohs doing "Louis Louis." <laughs>
4: Da am going
0: a uh, long and prolific recording career with many different groups and uh, did a lot of uh, session work and stuff like that and uh, we'll uh, we'll dig deeper into uh, some more of his music in future episodes
2: You've got mail, pattern baldness
0: In the mailbag, and remember if you want to uh, send me an email, it's brian at pipes that's brian with an i, and if I don't answer you in the first couple of days, send it again because it gets stuck somehow Uh, Or you can post your comments on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com or you can uh, somehow get a hold of me through the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook, which I try to check on a regular basis. Uh, But anyway, uh, Lord of the Piperings writes in regards to last week, love these episodes with Shane. Very informative and entertaining at the same time. Can't wait to see what you've acquired for smoking pipes at IPCPR. Hope you get a bit of time to enjoy my town while you're at it. Vegas local here. Yes, we do exist. And yes, I know they exist because I live there. Uh, Also want to give a shout out to Smoking Pipes and the Carvers for the American Exposition 2018 Alternative Materials. Every piece was incredible, and I'm very fortunate to have been able to acquire one of them. Uh, Yeah, if you didn't see it, uh, so Smoking Pipes uh, for the last four years, right around the 4th of July, has American pipe makers working on a theme, and this year was Alternative Materials than briar, and It was pretty cool. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, poison ivy is a bad thing. As a young man, I wasn't allergic to it, but as I got older, I did. Yuck. Uh, then he says, I didn't find Elizabethan at all enjoyable, but like you, I was smoking in a little bowl. Won't waste my money trying it in a large one. I love folding and stuffing a scudo, one fine smoke. Sixpence is also good to stuff. Uh, I hear you on fruits versus vegetables. I eat veggies somewhat begrudgingly, love potatoes and corn, uh, which by the way are not vegetables, those are starches, Uh, but we digress, Uh, while the wife consumes them by the truckload. Uh, The problem you have with seasonal fruit is they grow on trees that only bear them for a period of time. Georgia peaches are incredible, but when they are done producing, that's it for another year. Tropical fruits produce their fruit all year. Well, maybe somebody needs to come up with a tropical peach or a tropical cherry. Uh, And then Crash the Gray says, sorry for the long absence from commenting. Congratulations on 300 shows and all the rest that I missed. I enjoyed the discussion of pipe sizes and such. It is fun to hear others' opinions and to remember to continue experimenting especially if a blend is underperforming compared to what was expected. Side note, I went to visit Bill at the K. Woody factory. That is certainly a worthy trip to make and fun on a Saturday uh, if you coordinate with him. Oh, fun on a Saturday if you coordinate with him. I think people would be amazed to see his process and learn how incredibly affordable new K. Woody pipes are for the quality. Talk about a fount of knowledge. Great conversations were had. Yeah, uh... If you're going in uh, upstate New York, check out. Uh, stop by S.M. Frank and uh, K. Woody. Um, also, I'll remind you. You know, all the episodes of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show are still up and available for you to listen to anytime. If you're on iTunes and you're missing the first few, it's because iTunes only shows the last three hundred, uh, and then when you subscribe, they all show up there. Or you can go to PipesMagazine.com and listen to them all. And then uh, finally, Down Home Smoker says. Shane is a great co-host. I saw him walking around the KC Pipe show, but didn't introduce myself. I'll have to remedy that if he comes this year. Another great show, Brian. The number of intricacies that affect the smoking experience can be baffling. As for learning to smoke slow, I'm probably somewhere between Shane's expert slow draw and your self-professed locomotive style. Haha. ha. Uh, with, the, with the music, I've found that I like the other stuff from Ray that you've played better. Pleasant Smokes. Yeah, I think Ray's going through a different period. so. That's uh, kind of what artists do. All right, in uh, just a moment, rant time.
2: There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com.
4: Boy.
0: Oh, you YouTubers, I mean, dang, I, uh, so I started poking around YouTube again in the past couple of weeks, watching some episodes, uh, or watching some YouTube pipe presenters talking about their tobacco seller well first of all let me say a tobacco cellar is a you know it it's not we don't actually have tobacco in cellars some of us don't most of us don't but it refers to a place where you are cellaring or storing for aging all right that's where you're keeping your tobaccos for aging and storing Well, so I'm poking around just to see what's hot and see what people are doing, and dang, if I didn't come across a guy that had like 75 different blends, all open, all open jars. Jars of bulk tobacco, jars of tobaccos that came in tins, and all open, and then, Dang it, Yeah, didn't if I didn't come across a guy that had about 150, and all these videos are these guys laying out their stuff, all putting it out on their beds so that everybody can see each blend and then going through each one, and not many of them had more than if they had eight ounces of something, it was all packed into one jar. If they had four or five tins, they were all stacked up. Well, ding-dang-dong it, if I didn't see a guy that had 218 different blends in his quote-unquote tobacco cellar. 218 different blends, and I think the most he might have had of one was a pound of a bulk. He had everything from the fruitiest of aromatics to the to the heaviest of Latakias, everything in between, and appeared to know something about everything. Now, that is not a tobacco cellar. That is the world's largest tobacco buffet. That is more tobacco than most tobacco shops have on the shelf. That's not for storage, that's for consumption. And I just feel bad if you actually happen to come across one that you really love and it's been so long and it's gone and all you've got is four ounces of it. Anyway, if you wanna laugh like I did, go watch some of those videos on YouTube. Just type in pipe tobacco seller. All right, remember, please continue sharing uh, the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends and family, enemies and enemas. Uh, uh, also, if you uh, want to send along pictures of uh, your favorite summertime smoking spot, do that or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. And uh, while you're, if you're on Facebook, like the Pipes Magazine radio show page. All right, I want to thank uh, Jim for joining us. Thank you for tuning in and... Until next time
4: bombadida 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 The clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather.
2: Happy trails to you
4: till boom, meet
0: pocket or just a Group 6 bent billiard.